Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Alright, we're going to have a Bible study today. Okay, Bible study. I can't overemphasize the importance of this. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter the so-called spiritual development that you encounter in your life. If it is not backed up with a strong theological base, it is not sustainable. I am telling you, you know, the Bible, Jesus speaking, talks about the parable of the sower. It says the seed was good, but some fell on stony ground. And because it didn't have much earth, it germinated quickly. But when trials came, because it had no death, it died, it dried up. You can have a semblance of a vibrant Christian work, and yet you don't last. I'm telling you the truth. Your foundation in God is so important. Let me tell you this. When Jesus you know, came on the earth and, you know, had 12 disciples. When they went out to perform miracles, Judas went with them. And Judas performed miracles, but he had no foundation. You can have a semblance of a vibrant Christian work and be very deficient. And that's why it's important that as you are growing in your prayer life, as you are growing in your ability to fast, as you are growing in the miraculous, you must grow in theology such that the happenings in your life are not mysterious. They are systematic. When people are gathered outside wondering what is happening in the upper room, you don't just tell them it's a mystery. You can explain it. Are you getting what I'm saying? You can explain theologically. This is what Joel prophesied. It shall come to pass in the last day, says the Lord. I will pour out of my, my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. It is but the third hour. We can't possibly be drunk. This is what Joel prophesied. This is what David prophesied. David is a prophet. And so he said this. You will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer your holy one to see corruption. It is that type of clarity in the word that makes ministries last. Every good student of history will know that there have been great revivals that did not stand the test of time. Any revival that will last 50 years, 100 years, has at its core a strong doctrinal base. And that's why after thousands of years, you have the Catholic Church with us. Listen, the Catholics have so many things they are getting wrong. I'm telling you the fact. But they will be here for a long time. And many charismatic movements that have it right, have the move of the Spirit, cannot survive 30 years. Can't survive 50 years. Why? Because at the base of everything, the most important thing is doctrinal order. What do we believe? Why do we believe it? And many charismatic people are not systematic in theology. 
Someone can just shake his head on the altar and catch a rev and shove it down the throat of people. And because he's speaking in the name of the Lord, you dare not challenge it. That's not how to build a church. Come on, are you listening to me? You see, what I'm about to teach you, I taught it for the first time because I was shaken by something that happened. It was the first year of my marriage. And my wife wanted me to take her somewhere to buy stuff. So I drove her. We had come down many times, but this last one, she just said, I, I can wait in the car. She would just quickly buy something and come. But then seconds after, she came back and said, you're going to want to see what's happening inside. Come, come, come. And I said, what is happening? Two evangelists came to invite the sales girl in that shop to church. I won't mention the name of the church, but on the flyers of the church, they wrote, Jesus makes rich here. Jesus heals the sick here. And listen, I believe that God provides. I believe that God heals, but there must be something deeper about your theology. I, I don't want to go on with this. First and foremost, not everybody out there is sick and poor. So you must have something more to offer. Are you getting what I'm saying? Uh -huh. You must have something more to offer. You must have something more to offer. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have what? Everlasting life. No matter how prosperous your stay on earth is, you're going to die one day. And Jesus offers eternal life. That's something that everyone needs. And if you offer something else, you have made your ministry temporary in its effect. That's why some people will come to church until they blow. And when they make money, you don't see them again. Because contract has expired. You told them if they come, they will have money. Now they have money. Don't you see what I'm saying? So listen, let us reveal the true value of Jesus. Anyway, so these guys came with the flyer. In their church, they were taught again and again that God wants to make them rich and God wants to heal them, but they were not taught in the first place who God is. That's how the typical charismatic movement is. But this lady, on the other hand, she belongs to a church called the Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> and if you know that movement, it doesn't matter what you think about them, whether you think their doctrine is wrong or not and is wrong, But there is one thing you can't fault them about, discipleship. In their error, they take discipleship seriously. Do you know that Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a logbook for evangelism? So at the end of the year, they can tell you how many hours they spent preaching. How many hours they spent winning souls. They don't joke. And we come to church... And our preoccupation is getting material things, getting better in this world. They are discipling people. Let me tell you when I knew how serious they were. I'm a My mom is Yoruba, but I'm a I saw a cartoon 10 years ago in my native language, Jehovah's Witness cartoon. That's, that's how serious they are about evangelism. Are you getting what I'm saying? In my native language, that's how far 
and then so. Now there is a clash of preparation. You, all you know is, you know 100 scriptures on prosperity, but you don't know who God is. So they came and they said, come to our church. We want to invite you to our church. Jesus will make you rich. She said, who is Jesus? I will prove to you from your Bible that Jesus is not God. When she started with them, this girl is a sales girl. She was not a pastor. She was not even well-educated, but she was discipled. By the time she was, oh my God, evangelists started to shake. They had no answer. They, they had never heard something like that before. And as God will have it, that's where my wife came in. So my wife came to call me. So I just, I said, no, that's not right. And I said, this, 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 this. Let me tell you something. When I came in, one of them was already saying, she has a point. Ah. <laughs> they don't evangelize evangelism. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> See, one of them was already saying, she has a point. <laughs> they don't evangelize evangelists. <laughs> and that's when I realized Many Christians don't know God. Many Christians, when they are on their way from church, if they see Jesus on the streets, they won't know him. They won't know him. We lack doctrinal and spiritual discernment. They lack it. Turn your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Another anchor text in Celebration Church. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Read it together loud as you can. One, two, go. to start with the second part because that's what what I started saying you know early on it says be ready to give an answer be ready be ready meaning we must anticipate the questions and have the answer celebration church is thorough we don't just tell you to evangelize we tell you how we have teachings on how to evangelize Muslims how to evangelize Jehovah's Witness, how to evangelize Seventh-day Adventists. We don't just tell you. So all their questions, we have answered them. No surprise. Hallelujah. There are some people, if, you, if I catch you, either you convert or you run away. There's no, there's no, there's no way. Praise the name of the Lord. He says, be ready to give an answer. It's the same way you prepare for exams in your academics. Are you aware that your academics should even fuel your commitment to the things of God? Because now you realize that you can prepare for an exam and pass. I like to say this to students. Your success in your academics is a witness against you. If you don't know the Bible, it's because you didn't try. 
If you have two, 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 one, first class, and you never made any decent attempt to know God and his word, it is a witness. On the last day, what will you tell God? I know now as I'm talking, someone will say, oh, well, uh, third class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> But that is about to change in this church. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it says be ready. You can prepare for it. To give a defense to those who ask the reason of the hope that is in you. What, if they say, why do you believe Jesus is Lord? You must have the answer. Praise the Lord. You must have the answer. And then he says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. It is not just for argument, it is for worship. Did you hear what I said? Why is it important to know who Jesus is? Because theology is worship. If you stand here and you say, you are the son of God, you died for, my, for me, you rose on the third day, that's theology, right? But that's also worship. Proper theology is a prerequisite for proper worship. You cannot accurately worship a God you don't know. So, it says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So, by knowing him enough to defend him, you have given him a place a sacred place in your heart. Because that's what sanctification is. To separate. So, if you have plates in your house, and there are plates that just anyone can use, maybe plastic plates for children, because they will break ceramic plates, right? And generally, plastic plates are cheaper, right? Then you have plates for special events. If you separate the special plates for special events, for only special ev events, that's consecration. That's sanctification, to separate, to treat it as special. He's asking you to do the same with God in your heart. And he says, the Lord God, and the Lord God was used to refer to Jesus, right? So he's actually talking about Christ. Almost all the religions in the world think they have an opinion about Jesus. So, respecting Jesus is not enough. You must have a clear-cut opinion, doctrinal position about who you think he is. Did you hear what I just said? I hope you know that Jesus is honored in Islam. How many of you did not know that Jesus is honored in Islam? Be honest, this is a class. Wave at me. Uh, now, nah, some of you don't want to. <laughs> All right. In Islam, he's called Isa. Or Isa. How many of you have heard of Isa? All right. So, they believe he's a great prophet. But he's not the son of God because Jesus has no sons. Because God has no sons. In fact, they believe that he was born of a virgin. Are you with me? They believe that he was born of a virgin. The Quran 
doesn't really talk much about women. No chapter was devoted to any woman in the entire Quran, except Miriam, who the Bible calls Mary. And her name was actually Mary, not Miriam. But anyway. <laughs> and I can, I can go on and on. In, in the Quran, he's called the Word of God. Are you with me? So now, it's not enough to honor Jesus. He's the word of God. He's born of a virgin. He's a great prophet. Anything he says is true. Anything he says comes to pass. You have tried. But that's not enough. That's still not Christian revelation of Christ. Jehovah's Witness, they even missed it. They, they said he is an archangel. If someone comes to you and says, Jesus is an archangel, do you have a reply? Do you know what to say? Can I tell you one simple text to go to? Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Hebrews is a very powerful book especially for the worship of Jesus Christ. Because the summary of the book of Hebrews is to tell you how special Jesus is. If you were to give Hebrews a one-line commentary, you would describe it like this. Jesus is better. He, he has a better covenant on better promises that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. You know, he's better than Moses, better than the angels. So, he, chapter after chapter, they emphasized that Jesus is better. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews 1. It says, for to which of the angels did he say, you are my son? Are you with me? For to which of the angels did he say, you are my son? This day have I begotten you. Again, I'll be a father to him and you shall be my son. But when he again brings his firstborn, talking about Christ, into the world, he says, everybody read that together, one to go. Read it again, one to go. Let all the angels worship him. So we are talking about someone who commands the worship of angels, not an angel. Hallelujah. Verse 7, this is so powerful. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angel spirits and ministers a flame of fire, but to the sun. Oh my God. Come on, are you getting this? But to the sun, what does he say? Your throne, O oh who? Uh, 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 don't rush it. To the sun, he says, Your throne, O oh who? Your throne, oh who? Yeah. Who is Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> are, are you getting this? This is important. Are you aware that what I'm teaching is actually elementary? But for some reason, many people are not taught. They're not trained. We must get our priorities right. 
Learn the word of God. He says, your true no God is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated godliness. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. So, there are so many things I'm going to explain if I have the time. So, the fact that he is son does not mean he is not God. Because he said to, to the son, he said, you're through no God. Do you get that? Many times we have a modern terminology of the word son. And that's another thing that must change. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? That means, even though Jesus is honored, he wants to know exactly what you honor. He wants to know exactly who you think he is. Don't just say he's a great person. Ah, some say you are a great prophet, just like Elias. Some say you are this. Some say you are that. Then he says, but who do you say that I the son of man am. Who do you say? The title of this sermon is Yeshua. Yeshua. And that's the teaching series throughout this month. We'll be explaining, you know, who God is, so who Jesus is. So today, we're talking about the deity of Christ. I want to prove it to you. The deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. Next week, we'll talk about the humanity of Christ. Because he is God and he's also man. You'll be so blessed. I'm sure you can sense it already. Please don't miss any teaching series. Listen, you can't claim to love someone and not be ready to learn about him. must be ready to learn about him. So what did I say we're talking on today? Come on, what did I say we're talking about today? And there are so many angles, you see. When you talk to a typical Muslim apologist, you know, someone who defends Islam, one of the first things they will tell you is, where did Jesus categorically say, I am God? And now, if you're not trained, you will think, ah, it's true, that's profound. But it's very dumb. You see, and this, this is the problem that many of us have. We can't, get, we can't take clues. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some of you, the person that God has ordained for you to marry has been giving you clues since. You know, catch signal. <laughs> so it's not only bad theology that is your problem. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just catch things fast. And it's very un-African because Africans catch signals when your mom looks at you. <laughs> just know that. <laughs> when you go to a friend's house, 
And they say, Junior, what would you like to eat? <laughs> and your mom has warned you, don't eat when you get there. Guess what? When you are there, your mom will say, eat now. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm saying. She'll say, ah, eat now. <laughs> You're the one that will say, ah, no, ma. <laughs> if you like, try it. You must be able to catch signals. I had a friend in school who knew zero about catching signals. Zero. So I told him something, but I forgot to tell him that it was in confidence. I didn't want other people to know. So the next time we were in public, he began to spill. So I was trying to give him sign it. Like, you know? You know what he did? He said, eh? 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 I say, say what you are saying. Say what you are saying. <laughs> now, let us follow the signals. Let's see how Jesus spoke. How Jesus acted. If you study the communication of Jesus, you will have two conclusions. Is either he is God or he is a fraud. You can't have someone who is just a prophet speak the way Jesus spoke. It will be wrong. Do you know how Jesus spoke? Jesus spoke in an egocentric manner that will only be appropriate for God. Have you read the Beatitudes? How can a normal man say, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake? Maybe you don't understand. Old Testament prophets were persecuted for, Christ, for God's sake. And then a man comes and says, you, you will be persecuted for my sake. I'm blessed are you. Ah, ah. Maybe it never dawned on you. How can an ordinary man speak like that? You must be ready to be persecuted. Not only did he say that, he said you must be ready to die. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He that shall save his life shall lose it. He that shall lose his life for my sake. Are you listening to me? For, meaning, he said, to follow me, you must be ready to die for me. What kind of man? Nobody ever spoke like that. A normal prophet will say, you must be ready to die for God following me. Jesus said, for, you would, for my sake, what manner of man will have those kind of communications? In Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he says, think not that I am come to abolish the law. Do you know how wrong it would be for a natural man to talk like that? Only God can abolish the law. And now he says, don't worry, I won't abolish it. <laughs> Are you with me? Yes, don't worry, I'm not come to abolish it. I just came to fulfill it. Maybe that's not compelling enough for you. Then he comes to chapter 7 
Are you aware that from chapter 5 to chapter 7 was one sermon? So if I preach long today, understand. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm joking. Calm down. Keep your mind open, Sha. But I'm joking. <laughs> Am I joking? <laughs> All right. Now it goes to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Hear what he said. He says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Ah, ah. Meaning, he has the right to determine who enters heaven. What kind of man will talk like this? Let me tell you something you never notice. When the devil was tempting him, and he looked at the devil and said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. It never dawned on you, right? Who was being tempted? What did he say? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. It was a good opportunity for, for Satan to say, but you're not God now. But Satan didn't say that. Because he knew. Are you listening? I can go on and on. I want to take my time and go through as many as I can. No, no, just some of them. So that we'll keep to time. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, for instance. You know what he said? He said, the Son of Man will send out his angels. Have you seen it? Is that in your Bible? The Son of Man will send out whose angels? So, listen, the believer has angels, but not in this way. For you to say, you are talking like a commander of angels, the chief of angels. Meaning the angels are by you and for you. What natural man would talk like this? This egocentrism. Then you come to the Gospel of John, and you see so many I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Constantly, you see many instructions to follow. Follow me, and I will make you. Hallelujah. There is another instance that you might not have taken notice of. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Matthew chapter 19 from verse 16. What did he say? He says, you shall not murder. You shall not 
commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbors and yourselves, as yourselves. What Jesus did was to quote what is called the Decalogue, the last five commandments of Moses in the Old Testament. Are you with me? Out of the ten, the last five commandments, what we call the ten commandments. And now he said, well, all this I have obeyed from my youth. And he says, well, one thing you lack. What did he lack? Commit. So this guy showed commitment to his neighbors. But he was lacking in his commitment to God. That was what Jesus was trying to point out. The first five commandments were towards God. The last five commandments were towards people. And that's why Jesus summarized it like this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. That's, that's the summary of the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? So now he was prospering in the last five, but not in the first five. So when Jesus said, one thing you lack, he could have told him the first five. Instead, he just said, sell all you have and follow me. What does that suggest to you? Did I lose you? Oh, but there's more. Come on, I said there's more. Do you know what it means that Jesus is called Savior? Open your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. You are going to read this one loud as you can because I want to be sure you are all awake. Are you there? Yes, sir. Come on, I said, are you there? Yes, sir. Read together. One, two, go. Read it again, one, two, go. It says, I am God, and besides me, there is no Savior. So if you are calling Jesus Savior, if the Bible calls Jesus Savior, what does that make Jesus? Come on, do you catch that? Finally, to make this point, you know, some of the things Jesus said, I want to talk about what it means that Jesus is Lord. What it means. Listen. Names are very important in the Bible. I don't know if you know, the name Yahweh was so sacred in the Old Testament that the scribes, when they were writing the name Yahweh, every time, if they are writing, anytime they use the name Yahweh, they must first go have their bath, come back and write it to continue. So if in a page you have Yahweh 10 times, they will bath 10 times. How many of you have heard about that before? They, 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 they will regularly. That's how sacred the name was. They couldn't pronounce it in full. Listen, 
One of the many reasons you will see the name. How many of you have seen Yahweh without the A and without the E? They just write Y H. They put the spelling like that so that they won't forget that they are not supposed to call it out. That's why they removed it. <laughs> but now, in the Septuagint, what's the Septuagint? It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. The words Yahweh and Adonai were translated as Lord. Did you hear what, what I said? The words Yahweh and Adonai were translated as Lord. The Greek word is kairios, not kairos. <laughs> Very similar, funny enough. This one is spelled K-Y-R-I-O-S. And Jesus is Lord. Come on, I said Jesus is Lord. Come on, I said Jesus is Lord. And he said, you know, so many things. Oh my God. I'm thinking of what to, you know, share with you and what not to share with you. I want to make sure the next person that tells you Jesus is not God will be in trouble in your hand. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 23, from verse 5. Are you there? Read it together, one, two, go. Verse 6, one to go. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord. So the prophecy in the Old Testament is he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And Jesus comes on the scene and is called these words. People inspired by God called him Lord. When Mary knocked on Elizabeth's door and John the Baptist did the somersault in her womb, she spoke and said, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? When shepherds watched the flock by night, the angels in the sky, what did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. I think we should read it. Luke chapter 2 verse 11. I'm going to be as fast as possible now. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It wasn't a title that some people loosely gave him. The angels declared him Lord. Amen, someone. Amen. Come on, I said amen. amen. Come on, I said amen. amen. I will give you just one more on this. You see, Look at Exodus chapter 20, very quickly. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. Okay? I'm trying to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. 
Are you in Exodus chapter 20? Read verse 9. Are you there? So this is the commandment of God, right? Read verse 9 together, I want to go. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. Verse 10 together, I want to go. He says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And then in Mark chapter 2 verse 28, Jesus said, I did this so that you will know that the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Does that make sense now? He, he called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The final question I want to answer before we close, all right, is this. How then is his son? Because some people who are not trained in doctrinal understanding say, well, how can he be the son of God and be God? It's because you don't understand. The terminology son was used to describe something a person without a natural father. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when you look at the genealogy, in the genealogy in the book of Luke, it went straight to Adam, the first Adam. And then he says, Adam, the son of God. Why did he call Adam the son of God? Because he had no biological father. So the term, the sonship of Jesus was used to describe the fact that he was born of a virgin. So when the angel came to Mary and said, you were going to have a child, he said, how shall these things be, seeing that I know not a man? What did the angel said? He says, the Holy Ghost will overshadow you. The power of the highest will come upon you. He says, therefore, that holy thing that shall be born of you shall be called the son of the highest. Why will you be called the son of the highest? Because no human male participated in his conception. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the terminology, son, was a description of his virgin birth. But it didn't in any way contra contradict the fact that he is God. He didn't contradict the fact that he is God. Praise the Lord. Think about it. When the Hebrew boys, not the Hebrew boys, the wise men, are you aware we are not told how many they were? We assumed they were three. But we knew they were Igbo boys, wise men from the East. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Don't write it down. Some of you are writing. <laughs> you know. When they came into the manger, just think about it. This is a baby, but they saw more than a baby. This is the power of revelation. Are you getting what I'm saying? You see, some people are so carnal, they only descend in the flesh. They only descend in the flesh. It takes understanding to enter a manger, see a baby, 
and bow and worship him. The Bible says they bowed down. They worshipped him. They gave their gifts. Just imagine a baby and three, at least three fully grown men kneeling to worship. What a sight. That's revelation. Because even if he came as a man, he was more than a man. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was who? Aha. All things were made by him. Meaning he had an origin as a man. But his beginning. He had no beginning. He was God. Hallelujah. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's not just a child. He was not just a baby. Hallelujah. He became a man one day, but he had always been God. Come on, I said he has always been God. He has always been God. What I'm telling you is not just for the sake of knowledge. It's for the sake of worship. It should get you excited. It should get you in an attitude of worship so that you can adore him more. See, listen. Even in the scriptures that prophesied his coming, it was said that he will be both son and God. For you, logically, he can not be both, but not biblically. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, The Lord himself shall show you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And shall give birth to a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. Do you know the meaning of Emmanuel? You know, some people just think God with us. Oh, his presence is with us. That's not what it means. So. If parents knew the meaning of Emmanuel, they would call their sons Emmanuel. <laughs> Listen. God was always with Israel. Don't forget, Moses said, if you don't go, if you won't go with us, let me not go, right? And God said, I will be with you. But now there is a new prophecy that the child that shall be born shall be called or shall be God with us. That child, it was a description of the incarnation. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's not talking about the invisible but omnipresent presence of God. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. The child that shall be born will be God with us. That's the incarnation. God becoming a man. So the Bible tells you it's possible. There is a text we all read during carol service. But maybe it never stood out, it stood out to you. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It says, for unto us a child, did you say a child is born, right? Unto us a son is given. So listen, so he's a child, he's a son, but then he says his name shall be called, what? Wonderful, uh-huh. Uh-huh. His name shall be called what? The mighty God. He's a child. He's a son. But that son is the mighty God. 
The fact that he's a man is not a contradiction of his deity. The fact that he's a son is not a contradiction of his deity. A child is born, a son is given. That child will be called the mighty God. After mighty God, what did he say next? Everlasting Father. So even if he had an origin in his humanity, he had no origin in his deity. Everlasting Father. He became a man one day, but he was always gone. God. He became a man one day, but he was always God. Unto us a child is born. A son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. The Mighty God. You know, I was talking to a Jehovah Witness lady. He said, there is a difference between Mighty God and Almighty. Hi, God. I like people like that. That's why it's good to know the Bible well. I said, okay, mighty God, that's your problem, Abby. Open Revelations 1 8. <laughs> There's some, listen, I call my teaching BRD, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. No, no, no escape. You can't escape. Are you in Revelations 1 8? Read it as loud as you can. One, two, go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Who was talking? <laughs> so when I showed her this one, she said, eh, I have customers. I want to sell now. <laughs> I said, I will wait. She said, Don't wait for me. I'm busy. When they have no answer, they get angry. He says, be ready to give an answer <laughs> to those who will ask the reason of the hope that is in you. Sanctify him in your heart. Your ministry will be limited if you think Jesus is just a prophet. Hallelujah. But when you know that you have come in the name of the Lord, you will understand the kind of confidence I have this morning. And there's a confidence that I have this morning. Because it was not an ordinary man that sent me. I come in the name of the Lord. Please stand to your feet. If you believe that this Jesus is God, worship him, worship him. listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.